Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 47, titled Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Today is a fairly long set of verses, but it goes over some important issues surrounding the Sabbath. So, without further ado, let's dive in. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 8 says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? Which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Here it seems that Jesus was tackling some legalism issues in some sense, at least. Jesus uses some Old Testament stories to mount a defense against the criticism from the Pharisees. In other parts of Scripture, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. What Jesus is saying is we need to capture the intent behind the law and focus on God's intent rather than following a set of rules for the sake of following a set of rules while missing God's intent. Let's see what some early church father commentaries say. The following information was taken from Hilary Poitier commentary. He was a doctor of the church and a bishop. We must first point out the beginning of this passage. At that time, Jesus went through the standing grain. This is set at the time he gave thanks to God the Father for having given salvation to the people. The same meaning is given to what went before, his thanksgiving, and what came after, his walking in the fields. Note the relationships. Spiritually viewed, the land is the world, and the Sabbath is the day of rest. And the crop is the effect of future believers upon the harvest. Therefore, having gone out to the field on the Sabbath, the day of rest under God's law, he proceeded into this world to visiting the crop, the sown field of the human race. And since hunger is the craving for human salvation, the disciples hastened to pluck off the ears of corn, namely the holy people to get their fill of salvation. But the grain is not yet ready for human consumption. Rather, the crop upholds faith in the events to come. The added power of words completes the sacrament that implies both hunger and fullness. Towards the end of today's... That's, that's all Hilary of Poitiers said. Towards the end of today's verses, Jesus said, If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. So given that information, we need to clarify here that Jesus, was, Jesus wasn't meaning that we don't need to sacrifice our time and effort 
We should absolutely sacrifice time and effort to grow in Christ and to participate in the process of sanctification. However, when it comes to animal sacrifice in Jewish culture, it seems Christ wanted a greater emphasis in mercy rather than animal sacrifice. The following information was taken from, again, Hilary Poitier, commentary. He was a doctor of church and the bishop. Excuse me, a doctor of the church and a bishop. In order to show that this appearance of his work anticipated all the power of things to come, he added, If you understood what this means, I want mercy, not sacrifice, you would never have condemned the blameless. The business of our salvation lies not in sacrifice, but mercy. When law is made void, we are saved by the goodness of God. If they had understood the grace of this statement, they would have never condemned the blameless. They would not have condemned the apostles whom they were going to accuse falsely out of envy, of transgressing the law specifically. When the ancient practice of sacrifices was stopped, the strangeness of mercy became more clearly known. Had this been known, they would not have thought that the Lord of the Sabbath was, excuse me, the Lord of the Sabbath was confined by the law of the Sabbath. So when we go over verses like today, it's hard to fully capture a lesson that we as Christians need to integrate regarding the teachings of Scripture to grow in Christ. There seems to be a few important takeaways. Nonetheless, let's summarize and close. The first takeaway is how we should use Scripture to defend ourselves just like Christ did with the Pharisees. Now, I want to stop there. It, if you remember the beginning of the Gospels, specifically the Gospel of Matthew when we first started, there was an attack from Satan to Christ. Now, some people have claimed that Christ was tempted. And that's, that's an improper interpretation because Christ can't actually be tempted because he's perfect. It was Satan or the artist formerly known as Lucifer who had the audacity or who dared to tempt Christ. And when Satan attempted to tempt Christ or mounted an assault, a spiritual attack against Christ, Jesus Christ used scripture to defend himself. Now, the same thing happened here. When the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ referenced David. So he used scripture and biblical stories to mount a defense against criticism. Now, there is an important lesson because no matter where the attack comes from, whether it's inside the Christian community or outside the Christian community, if we are being obedient to scripture, then scripture is our defense. So we should Take these lessons of the Pharisees criticizing Jesus and Satan trying to tempt Jesus that the defenses that were mounted from Christ against the attacks were from Scripture. So we have a duty, we have a responsibility to know Scripture well enough that we can mount a defense when necessary. Number two, another, another closing summary. Another takeaway would be that when it comes down to lawfulness... Christ wanted the Jewish leaders to focus on mercy as a higher priority than animal sacrifice. The way we should view that teaching is how it applies to us in the New Testament. And we should focus on the intentions behind the law that God put into place, 
which would be the mate, excuse me, which would be the weightier matters of the law, as Christ said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. And those things are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So we aren't following a set of rules just to put a check in the box. That's not the goal. The goal with following the law of Christ and the law of liberty is to demonstrate our faithfulness and to demonstrate justice and to demonstrate mercy. And it seems difficult to understand that at times because we, we may ask ourselves, how in the world can justice and mercy and faithfulness <clears throat> be demonstrated by obedience to the law? Well, faithfulness is an easier thing to understand because we could say, our commitment to being obedient to the New Testament and the Ten Commandments demonstrates our faithfulness. So that's an easier one. But justice specifically and mercy are a little more difficult to understand because if we follow the rules that God put into place, if we follow the New Testament, if we follow the Ten Commandments, then it's going to produce the justice of God. That's the idea. But here's another cool thing. If we are obedient to the New Testament and we are obedient to the Ten Commandments, what will happen is God's mercy will be given to us. Now, how all of this kind of ties together is, or I should say can be compared to Hebrews chapter 4. So entering the rest of Christ. Now, Paul makes an incredible point, which is the way you enter into the rest of Christ is to be obedient. And if there are people who have not entered the rest of Christ, it is due to disobedience. So disobedience can essentially distance ourselves from the mercy of the mercy of God. It can distance ourselves from the grace of God. Now, grace is one of those things that are mysterious. It can be given to us no matter what the circumstances. However, Paul tells us that it is by grace that we are saved through faith. So we understand that demonstrating faith and demonstrating obedience is what brings about the grace of God, which is also a gesture of mercy. There's not that much of a difference between mercy and grace, by the way, especially in the Greek. I went to an Orthodox church last Sunday, and one of the things that the priest was saying after a sermon was that mercy in the English is different than mercy in the Greek. So mercy in the English is something akin to, please don't hurt me. But mercy in the Greek is, let your oil flow to me. So it's, it's, it's slightly different. And that's why it's so important that as Christians, we need to get in the Greek, we need to get in the Hebrew, we need to get in the original manuscripts, because when we read an English translation, it is precisely that it is a translation. But the original Bible is in Greek and Hebrew. So we should be studying Greek and Hebrew. And you may be thinking, man, I can't read Hebrew. I can't read Greek. But there's easy resources that will help you. And it's blueletterbible.org. It can allow you to dive in the original manuscripts and understand the meaning of these words. Number three for the summary. The final takeaway would be that we do, in fact, need to sacrifice time and effort to grow in Christ. It is vital to take into account sacrificing things for Christ in our personal lives to grow. We must remember the greatest commandment is to love God first with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Now, we it would be fitting here to talk about faith because faith, in order to love God first with all of our heart, mind, and soul, we our faith is what bridges us into that. 
And so we need to summarize again what faith is specifically because grace is what God does for us, but faith is what we do for God. So let's go over the dictionary definitions first, and then we'll go through the biblical definitions as they've been summarized. So the first definition of faith in the dictionary is allegiance to duty. Well, that can be summarized as a commitment. So if we're going to call ourselves Christians, then we should be committing our life to Jesus Christ and we should be committing our lives to Scripture. The second definition of faith in the dictionary is fidelity of promises. So what that means is when we make the commitment, which is the first definition, we should maintain our commitment through the fidelity of our promises. The third definition of faith in the dictionary is sincere intentions. Now that can be a tricky one because everyone's heard the old cliche, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Now, the Christian flavor of that, if you will, would be sincere intentions to be obedient to Scripture. That's what we should be pursuing. The sincere intentions to abide in Christ's love, which is to be obedient to the Ten Commandments and be obedient to Scripture. And the scholars have decided what that means is to be obedient to the New Testament in relationship to the Old Testament, and that includes the Ten Commandments. Now, the way the biblical definition of faith is summarized is trust, conviction, action, and obedience. But there's still more. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that faith is also assurance of things hoped for and conviction of the unseen. So assurance of things hoped for would be the hope of salvation that anchors us in our journey with Christ. And conviction of the unseen would be Conviction that the Bible is true, conviction that Jesus Christ is God, conviction of what the things that we're told in Scripture. So it's, it's you know, we can't separate Jesus Christ from the Bible because Jesus Christ is the incarnate Word of God and the Bible is the written Word of God. So we need to have convictions demonstrated not only for the incarnate Word of God, but we should have convictions demonstrated for the written Word of God, because it is the written Word of God that points us to the incarnate Word of God. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.